0: Let's take our Bibles together and look to Mark chapter 1 today. Mark chapter 1 is the beginning of the New Testament. Right after Matthew, you'll find Mark. I'd love for you to read along in your Bibles, maybe make a notation uh, that this day God is speaking to you. Uh, You can do so either uh, in the handout that is provided for you or maybe in your Bible. Mark chapter one, beginning in verse one, let's read the word of the Lord today. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. By the way, Mark begins and ends his gospel with the same thing. He begins the gospel account with the death, burial, and resurrection. He'll do so with an illustration of Jesus' baptism. And then as he concludes his narrative, he's going to do so with the actual historical account of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Most guys are preaching today at the end of the book. I thought it would be good for us to flip things around and do it at the beginning of the book, both the same subject. So this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Everybody say yum, yum. Yum. Verse 7, he preached saying, after me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And in the days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out Of the water. Immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. 1400 years before this event took place, John was ministering there in the wilderness. 1400 years prior, Israel was actually in that same wilderness region. They had crossed the desert stretch and moved into the promised land by God's accord. The people were full of hope as God had held back the Jordan River for them to cross into the promised land, allowing them to cross on dry ground. Soon afterwards, they were there on the fords of Jericho. And they would march around Jericho and see God's triumph over that city as the walls came tumbling down. Many centuries later, the people have made their way back into the wilderness. They were there past the fords of Jericho and into the Jordan River again, where a preacher was speaking about the coming Messiah. The terrain was harsh, the heat was absolutely brutal. Many of them would probably find it very difficult to survive that kind of journey from Jerusalem to the desert. And if it weren't for the wadis, the springs of water that God had provided along the way, they probably wouldn't survive. However, droves of people made the 20 mile journey descending Jerusalem to the point of the Jordan River just north of the Dead Sea. Let me give you an idea of that kind of distance. It would be like you and me getting up out of our chairs, going out to 411 and walking to Leesburg. That's a stretch, isn't it? But walking to Leesburg in this instance would be a 3,500 mile, excuse me, 3,500 foot descent in elevation. That would be like going to Mount Chehaw and adding 1,000 feet on top of it and descending in the desert among rocky terrain in 100 degree plus weather. That's the challenge. And that's where the people of Israel were moving towards. Could I just ask you a question? Would you make that kind of an effort to go hear a preacher preach? I'm just grateful it's not raining today. (laughs) (laughs) Would you do it if he was stranger than me? That's a stretch, isn't it? I mean, this guy's eating locusts, wild honey, and he wears the hide of a camel with a leather uh, uh, belt around his waist. Uh, This guy is just really peculiar and it's meant to be that way because everything about him is drawing people away from the common arena of the world. Everything about him is different The scene that is communicated is communicated one of change. The clothing communicates one of change. The message is communicating one of change. And it is a message of repentance. If you will, the prophet is calling the people of Israel to a second exodus. The first exodus, they are coming out of Egypt, out of a place of bondage and slavery, out of a place where all kinds of false worship is taking place. They're coming into the place where God is calling them. And if you will, John is doing the same thing. John is calling the same group of people out to the wilderness, back across Jericho's plains, into the Jordan River to move them to a second exodus because he's preparing them for a second covenant of God. It's a covenant not like the first, which is a covenant of law. This is gonna be a covenant that will be established by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the love, mercy, grace, and justice of Christ our Lord. He's calling them to change. And he's calling them to come into this life of change. There was no distance too far, no journey too hard, and no message too straightforward for those who were searching for newness of life, Some of you have come here today, not just because it's what we do in the South on Easter, but you're here today because God is stirring in your heart. And there's something that he is causing you to be wrangling with sin in your life that he's calling you to repent from, walk away from, change the way you think about it, to confess it and come to Christ Jesus. He's calling you from where you have been to an exodus to where he wants you to be in newness of life. This is a day that God is working in your heart. Maybe it's been a season. Maybe it's been a series of things, but it is culminating for you today. If you're willing to journey on this narrow and challenging path to hear God's message for your life, he has a message for you to hear. Now, let me just mention three things that stand out to me in this text that i Want you to draw near to in truth and receive. The first is the preacher's pointed message. John is crying, Prepare the way of the Lord. It's a pointed message, isn't it? For repentance and faith are always the marks of God working in the hearts of people. Wherever you find repentance and faith, you find the working of God. So if you want to walk in God's way, if you want to walk and experience him and his blessings, then he will lead you on a journey of repentance and faith. Sometimes he may lead you to a desolate and broken place or maybe a desperate or dry season. Rest assured that God is purposeful in every aspect. He was very purposeful to lead the people back into the wilderness on that very difficult pathway to navigate and he is working in every detail of your life regardless of the season in which you're experiencing. He's working in the details, fashioning your heart, drawing you nearer to Christ, Bringing you to a place of understanding so that you might know the good news of Christ and you might surrender your life to him. Maybe it is that you're thirsty and it's a good place to find yourself if you recognize your thirst because to those who are thirsty, Jesus Christ will be the living water. And maybe it is today that you have a sense of loneliness, and in that place of loneliness, Christ is wanting you to experience his presence. He's in the midst of the details of the hardship, or maybe you're in some sense of trouble. It will be Christ who will be your mercy and grace in the midst of that trouble. From his goodness, he will convict you of your sins and from your troubles and your woundedness and what separates you. And he will point out those things in your life and draw you to himself as you turn from them. That's what's happening in the wilderness. He's calling people to turn away from their sinfulness and to Christ and the message of Christ Through John, God is calling the people to confess their sins, literally confess their sins. By the way, that word in its original meaning means to agree with God about it. Uh, You and I don't get to determine what sin is. I know the world wants to shift around what is sin and what is not sin, but you and I don't get to determine that. The God of the universe has already determined that, and he's written it down for us in the Scriptures And so we agree with him when we confess. We say, yes, Lord, that is sin. And you find it in my life with your holy eye, you see it. And I agree with you on it. I should forsake that and think differently about it. That's repentance, turning away from it. And he will call us to that. That's what he's doing through John. And all of it is happening in the waters of the Jordan River in the wilderness. Like the previous generation of Israel was called out of Egypt, John is calling them out of their sin. He called that first covenant people to pass through the Red Sea and emerge on the other side with a new life in faith. And now John is preparing a new covenant for people in Christ. And that will emerge in their faith, that it will first start in the baptismal waters of repentance in the Jordan. And there he would begin to offer new life to them. He would point them to the gospel Such a baptism of repentance was absolutely unheard of for Israel. Nobody in Israel was ever baptized in this way. This was something new, totally different from anything that had ever experienced before. Imagine yourself sitting among the vast numbers of people that have made their way down into the desert, sitting on the bank of the Jordan River, listening to a preacher calling out sin and calling us to confess it and to repent of it adultery and anger and arrogance and bitterness and brutality and boasting and carousing and complaining and conceit and coveting. And that's just the beginning of the letters ABC. I mean, on and on and on, John would point out the law of God and what God demands of people. And he would point out how people have sinned against the holiness of God, and he would call them to confess that, agree with God on their sinful ways and call them to turn from that. And the preacher's words got to the heart of the people because the Spirit of God was bringing conviction within the people, and they were standing there grasping the holy call of God for every life that he's placed on the earth and their inability to do what God had instructed them to do. And they begin to confess those sins aloud and pledge repentance of those sins. We ought to be grateful for preachers today who will point out sin. I know there's not that many of us today, people need to understand the sin in their life. They need to hear somebody call them to confess that sin and somebody to call them to repent of that sin. For in such moments like John the Baptist, the preacher is preparing people for the way of the Lord. And that brings me to the proper response of the people. And their response was they confessed and repented of their sins. Now, when the people heard how they had fallen short of the glory of God, his spirit so convicted them that they lined up by the hundreds, catch this, even by the thousands to be baptized unto repentance in the Jordan River. Some Bible scholars say as many as 300,000 people came. It's an amazing amount of people who would come in the season of John's ministry to be baptized, repenting of their sin. Verse 5 says that all the country folk came from Judea. And all the city slickers in Jerusalem came out. And they all went to the wilderness, to the Jordan River where John was preaching. Imagine that they stood one by one in the Jordan River confessing their sins aloud and pledging repentance. Man, that's preparing those people for the way of God Today, many people present false gospels, offering God's mercy without informing people first of God's judgment in their sin. They speak of God's love without ever pointing to God's holy justice. They are quick to offer up God's gift of freedom in Jesus Christ without ever mentioning that the wages of sin is death. I strongly question the claim of anybody who says that they're saved and they don't know from which they are saved. you got to first understand the lostness in your life to understand the rescue that Christ is offering you. The way Jesus says it, before you get comfort, you have to first mourn in your sin. He goes on to say that satisfaction only comes after you recognize you have a spiritual thirst and hunger. Or that the kingdom of heaven only comes to those who are poor in spirit. In other words, you don't have spiritual two pennies to rub together. You're so impoverished spiritually and you recognize that. And in so you call out for God's mercy and he lavishes that great gift of grace upon you. And the kingdom of heaven belongs to those people. Or the rescue comes to only those who are lost. So God. Is God preparing your heart for the way of Jesus? Are you in the wilderness? Are you under the conviction of God? And if so, that is a clear sign of God's love and care for you. He is preparing you for the way of the Lord, readying your heart for his salvation. Now listen carefully. Confession and repentance are not enough for salvation. For you to confess your sin and determine that you're going to live differently from your sin is not enough. That's the reason why John explained in Mark 1.8, I have baptized you with water, but Jesus Christ will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What we need is transformation. What we need is for God to come into us. Those of us who are spiritually dead to be given spiritual life. And that brings me to this final point, the Savior's profound offer. Jesus immersed himself with sinners to provide for them new life. The Jordan River extends from the very north of Israel. It flows all the way through the country, 158 miles emptying into the Dead Sea. Among the four sources, the chief headway of the Jordan is the Banyas River. And it discharges about 17 and billion gallons of water into the Jordan every year. That's a lot of water. The river runs clear and brisk to the north, and it is absolutely beautiful. I hope you see it one day. Uh, this time next year, we will be in Israel taking a tour. If you'd like to join us, there will be more information coming about that. But the further that river goes south, the darker it goes. It's that way with the Mississippi. You ever been to the Mississippi when it's dumping into the the Gulf of Mexico? There's a dead zone out in the Gulf of Mexico. You know where that comes from? The Mississippi. The Mississippi starts beautiful up north, doesn't it? I mean, it's grand waters. But those Yankees do something as it's coming down south, don't they? (laughs) I don't know all that's happening, but I know... The mighty Mississippi is a muddy, dirty mess by the time it hits the Gulf of Mexico. It's that way. It's that way in the Jordan as well. It's beautiful to the north, but the further south you go through the valley, that water slows down and it gets murky and it gets stagnated as it meanders down into the lower areas well below sea level. And as that water is murky if you and I were to enter it today we would do so with some timidity because you cannot see through that silt-laden water. Remember the prophet Elijah who was telling Naaman how to be rescued from his leprosy a disease that is incurable. Remember what he told him you need to do this you need to go to the waters of the Jordan and you need to wash seven times and remember what he said the Jordan There are better, cleaner waters than the Jordan for me to go in. You know what he was saying? That's a dirty place. I'm not going there. Of course, you know the story of that. Elisha says, well, hey, it's it's not about the waters of the Jordan. It's about your faithful obedience to God. And when he understood that, he went into the Jordan. The river would have been no different in the day of Jesus. Perhaps even worse because thousands of people were coming and going in and out of the waters as they were making their repentance known. Making it even worse than that, amid the muddy waters echoed the sinful confessions of a great number of people. They confessed their dishonesty and the hatred that was in their heart. And the adultery that they had committed and the pride and arrogance that ruled their lives and the abuse that they had perpetrated against other people and the rage that had enacted in their life. They confessed of their greed and their thievery and their sexual sins and their biases and their lying and their perversion just one after another the confessions were just coming aloud by thousands of people as their heart was anguished and their tears were flowing and one day in the midst of all that Jesus comes down from Galilee in Nazareth in the northern region of Galilee and he makes his way down through the valley all the way down just north of the Dead Sea where those vast numbers of people are there in the waters and around the waters confessing their sins and he hears their confessions the vilest of confessions he hears all of it he sees into their heart and he knows what's going on in their heart he knows that they're grieving over their sin and he sees the tears streaming down their face and you know what he does in the midst of all that he steps into the water now some would say there's no place for a righteous one like him to step into those waters, but Jesus had been commissioned to stand in that water. That's exactly what his whole life was about. John recognized him as he approached the banks of the Jordan that day. He watched him step down into the dirty waters where all those confessions were being made, and to his shock, Jesus presented himself to be baptized. John would have prevented him to do so, but as Matthew records, Jesus said these words to John's objections. Let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. That's a big point. Righteousness is not going to come by your confession of sin. It won't come by your hunger to do something about it. It won't come because you change your mind or the way you live your life. Righteousness will come alone by faith in Jesus Christ. And what John is doing is he is going to lower the Son of God into those murky, dirty, sin-filled waters. And he is going to lower him as if he is dead and he will raise him up as if he is resurrected. You see what Mark is doing? You see how he's giving us the account? Where all of this is ending is where it begins. Jesus is our rescuer. He is our righteousness. He is alone the one who can pay for our sins, I'm confident that all eyes were on Jesus that day as he stepped into those waters. Because unlike everybody else who's going in the Jordan that day, there was no expression of shame on his face. There was no confession of sin in his mouth. There was no regret in his heart. And I'm just as confident that every angel in heaven and every heavenly being was looking with all attention as the king of heaven had entered into those murky, dark waters. They were all aghast at Jesus' willingness to give such grace to such sinful people. Though the people were eager to rid themselves of their sin, and they longed for righteousness before God and mankind, it was not possible for them to have righteousness just by confessing and repenting alone. It required God's radical mercy and grace. He alone could forgive them. He alone would impute the righteousness of Christ into them, and he alone would baptize them with the fire of the Holy Spirit to purge them. John is helping in that moment. Even though he didn't understand the fullness of it, John is helping us to understand this is Christ. All he could do was to utter these words, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb. He's here in the midst of all the waters, in the midst of the vast sinners. He's here, and he is establishing something new, a new covenant for us, and he will do so by his death, burial, and resurrection. The salvation of every sinner rests not upon our confession and repentance, but it rests on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's great news. So confession and repentance are important because they prepare the way of Christ, who alone can forgive and graciously share his righteousness for all who will put their trust and faith in him. And in doing so, he will make us holy. And he will immerse us in his spirit. Today's passage marks Jesus' first appearance in his ministry. And notably, the first thing that he does in a public expression is to identify with people just like us. People filled with sin. Filled with regret and brokenness. He identifies with us but he's not just standing with us in our sin. He is demonstrating to every sinner how he is willfully going to bear our sin on the cross of Calvary and die with it in order that he might have freedom for us over sin and God's justice that's held against us and the punishment of that sin. He would free us from that and he would give to us his righteousness, and he would give to us in the resurrection a new way of living. In his glorious life, he immerses us in his spirit. You see, Jesus didn't just step into those waters of guilt and sin, but he bore the penalty of all of that on Calvary's cross, dying with it there in order that he might be victorious over sin, death, and the grave. So as John lowers him into that water... He's demonstrating the death that Christ is going to experience for sinners. And as he raises him out of that water, he is demonstrating the new life that is afforded to every sinner who will trust Christ by faith. So as I said, Mark begins his writing demonstrating the gospel, and he ends his writing narrating the gospel of Christ. The gospel is Jesus stepping into our lives, which are filled with sin and shame, in order to pay the burden penalty for our sin. Satisfying God's holy justice, which is required because God is just and God is holy. Forgiving us and crediting us with his righteousness. So I invite you to receive Christ by faith today as he extends good news to you, as he calls you to confess your sin, calls you to repent from that, and offers you newness of life through the baptism which is provided by his Spirit. I find it interesting that in Jesus' opening words of his public ministry, this is what he says. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Repent. And believe the gospel. So what he's saying there is not just confess and repent, but he's saying, go the next step now that I've come. Repent and believe this good news. Believe in me. Believe in me, the Lord, the Savior, the Conqueror, and the Gracious One. Would you bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment? I want to lead you in a time of prayer as musicians are moving into place and our staff will be moving down forward. If you're here today and God is speaking to your heart and you know he's calling out to you to repent and believe in the gospel, then we want to join you in that step of faith. I'm going to invite you as we sing this final Opportunity as a congregation, I want to invite you to step forward and tell one of our guys that are standing before you, I'm believing, I'm repenting today of my life, I'm believing in Christ. Now, Father, as you're calling people, your spirit is wooing them. I pray that faith is being poured out with great grace and that people will receive new life in Christ as they yield themselves with confession and repentance and trust totally in Jesus, who alone can save them. May he be glorified in our response, and may the people be encouraged in their obedience. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.